Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Can we pray? Father, we want to thank you for uh, the privilege of coming together to remember you and what you've done for us. At times, so often, we take for granted how good this plan really is. And Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for your obedient submission to the Father. We thank you. And we thank you that by your Spirit as well, we can be saved, set free, sanctified, set apart for you and your purposes. To be all the glory, now and always. And all God's children said, Amen. Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, let's get straight into it. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Good to be with you this evening. If we haven't met, my name's Josh. I'm on the pastoral team here in Grace Life Church. And if you um, are a guest, you are very welcome. Stick around after. I understand we've got some hot cross buns there, some uh, fruit ones and some chocolate ones. Don't, chuck, don't touch the chocolate ones, they're no good. Stick to the fruit ones, they're much better. They're much better. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so we're going to read just uh, from verse 39 through to verse 46. So chapter 22, verses 39 through to verse 46. And before I get Karen to read that passage, I just want to give you some background here. So this is, um, this is the night that Jesus is to be betrayed. We're going to read a little passage. He dies the next day. Passover has just happened and uh, there's a full moon, uh, which uh, happens at the Passover. It's probably the Wednesday evening and uh, we see now this... um, this really critical moment and a very difficult moment for Jesus as he's with his disciples about to be handed over to be put on trial and as we know to to die. So let's just read from verse 39. Thanks, Karen. And he came out and went and was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone throw and knelt down and prayed saying father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground and when he rose from prayer he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow and he said to them why are you sleeping rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation wonderful thank you very much Karen so let's set the scene here we we know the cross we know that uh, good Friday is about what Jesus did for us he did for us Uh, He did it for us, which means he did it for you and he did it for me. 
And uh, as that happened in the lead up to that, before that moment of agony on the cross, there was, a moment of, there was a moment of agony in the garden that's really important for us, that I think really the great victory uh, we can see took place here in the Garden of Gethsemane. He made some big decisions here. We read that he was isolated, he was abandoned by the people that he was with day in and day out for several years. In fact, uh, in Matthew's account, um, when they had fallen asleep, he says, could you not even watch with me one hour, is something that Jesus said. In his greatest moment of need, he experienced uh, abandonment from his closest allies just in that moment. He was going to then experience that on the cross, and then there was a sense of abandonment on the cross that he experienced because of the sin that he took upon himself. In fact, the Bible tells us that he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. That's a really big thing. So let's read. As was his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says that. In fact, he says it again in verse 46. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That tells us something about the nature and the character of Jesus, in fact. That he's there ready to take on the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's encouraging, he's compelling, commanding his followers, you guys, you've got to pray. Otherwise, you'll fall into temptation. But then it says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. Interesting to note that when, <clears throat> when one was to pray there before God, you wouldn't kneel. That was not the custom. The custom was to stand with hands raised. So Jesus came. There was something different about Jesus here. He wasn't just praying as normal. In fact, you would have read there that within a stone's throw of the disciples, he knelt and he prayed. Um, I always love asking questions of the text, and I think, well, how, how, who knew that? How did they know that? Luke, who wrote this, who was a physician, he obviously had a first-hand account of a bystander, a witness. Perhaps it was one of those disciples that were there, so they would know what Jesus was saying and what was going on. And perhaps it was at the resurrection when Jesus had many conversations with his disciples that, that, that oh, Jesus, what happened in the garden? What happened back there? What was said? What was done? And perhaps that's how we read today what actually took place. It's really quite interesting. But Jesus, it says, he would kneel and he would pray. In that moment, he withdrew from them. And this is what he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I wonder why there was an angel there strengthening him. Perhaps because his friends weren't there to strengthen him. Just a question. Have you ever felt alone and abandoned? Have you ever felt isolated? Be encouraged that the Lord has angels that minister to us as they ministered to Jesus. Perhaps that could have been a reason why um, the Bible says that he was made a little lower than the angels. Here the angels were ministering to him in that very moment. Never underestimate what God can do to encourage you. Maybe that's you this evening. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So he prayed earnestly, but he was in agony, so he prayed even more earnestly. So he went in prayer, he travailed, and even more because of that agony. How often do we give up in prayer? <laughs> I felt so convicted by this. How often do we go, oh, that's enough, I've had enough prayer. But see, with Jesus, he pushed on just a little bit more. In the midst of his pain, 
in the midst of his trial, he persevered in prayer. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Interesting point there that Luke, the physician, included this. Great drops of blood. That's interesting. Sweat became like great drops of blood. Doctors call that hematohydrosis. And that can happen when the blood vessels, when you're under so much strain, when you're under so much pain, be it physical, emotional, could be ex extreme exhaustion, your blood vessels can burst and can seep on into your sweat glands. And that, that hasn't been known to happen. Well, let's not underestimate what Jesus was going through in that very moment. It was quite a great weight that he took upon himself. It wasn't just on the cross, though that was a great thing. What, what happened in the lead up to that? Rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping for sorrow. They're, they're so sad that they're sleeping. I won't go into that. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But I really want to just focus on verse um, 42. And there are three things I want to pick up on in particular. It says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, if you're willing. That shows us the nature of this prayer. He calls him Father. Not, where are you? How could you do this to me? Have you ever felt like crying out to God like that? How could you let this happen? I've done everything right. I've done everything by the book. How dare you? He says, Father, what an intimate cry. Speaking to that relational aspect of we have a God who is not distant. Neither is he indifferent to our needs. He knows exactly and so the invitation perhaps is for each of us in whatever moment we're in, perhaps you're in a Gethsemane experience right now, cry to him as Father, not just God, not just a deity, a distant being. He's closer than you realize. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. It's good enough for me. So his posture physically was on his knees. He was desperate, we see, physically. He was... Sweating like great drops of blood. His heart was lent in toward his father. We see the nature of his prayer, but we also see the realization of the cup. Second thing we can find about this cup is actually quite a big thing. Father, if you are willing. See, Jesus knew his place. He was here to fulfill the will of his father. He was on a mission. He was on the mission field. He had come to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. And he did all of this considering us, but in loving obedience and submission to his Father. But he knew, Father, if you're willing, if, 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 if you will, get rid of this cup. What cup was he talking about? You think in the garden there would have been a nice cup lying around? <laughs> Hey, see this cup over here, Lord? Can you, can you get this out of, out of my hands, please? Imagine this. He wasn't talking about a literal cup. But for illustrative purposes, let's, let's say there was a cup. 
So there's a cup that Jesus is talking about. And he really doesn't want to drink from it. He really doesn't want to drink from this cup. Why did he use that imagery? In the Old Testament, we see several occasions where the picture of the cup is used. And the cup um, pointed to wrath and judgment and fury. How quick are you on the scripture verses, Trev? You reckon you're with me today? You okay? Should we give it a go? Okay, let's go to um, let's go to Isaiah chapter fifty-one and verse seventeen. Let's see what that one says. Isaiah chapter fifty-one and verse seventeen. They call him Quick Draw McGraw. Here we go. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath. Who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl the cup of staggering. Okay, what about Jeremiah chapter twenty-five? In verse 15. That's, so you can see this imagery of the cup. Jeremiah 25 and 15. Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Okay. It's happened several times. So he's saying, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to drink from this cup. I don't want to do it. Father, please, don't make me do it. Jesus knew, though, he was on mission. He knew this was coming. So what was happening here? He was conflicted. Have you ever been conflicted doing what you know is right, or what God calls you to do, but part of you is like, I really don't want to do this. I can't do this. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to let go. I don't want to love. If you're willing, Lord, please. And this cup was a reality for Jesus it was a big thing so one man says one writer says that all of hell was diluted into this cup this cup of wrath of judgment and fury to which the Lord Jesus Christ willingly drank for us so Jesus considering this cup that he didn't want to drink from that that cup of wrath and fury and judgment, which was due to you. It was due for you. It was due for you. It's due for me. And Jesus drank from that. Well, what, 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 what of that judgment? What of that wrath? What of that fury? Why was that there? What was that about? Well, it's because of our sin. It's because of our iniquity. It's because of our transgression. It's almost a dirty word on the news. It's a dirty word on, on, on the internet. You can't say things like that because truth is all subjective. And, and, and you, what you say is right is, may not necessarily what you say is right and what you say is wrong is not necessarily what you say is wrong. But I'm telling you that God doesn't change, that there are certain things that do separate us from God, and that's called sin. So let's think about that then. So let's think about every single day, not one of us, lives a sin-free life in some way, shape, or form. Whether it be a sin of omission or a sin of commission. A sin that we're aware of or a sin that we aren't. Every single one of us. It could be something as simple as being greedy or gluttonous, rebellious, idolatrous, jealous, lascivious. It could be something like pride. It could be strife. It could be arrogance. It could be deception. Every single one of us is guilty. And before a holy, righteous God, 
we deserve eternal separation. But all of that wrath that was due for us was in a cup and Jesus chose to drink it. And he drank it so we wouldn't have to. I really do contend that it wasn't the physical pain that was Jesus' greatest hurdle. It was the emotional, psychological, soul pain that he carried. I was talking to my girls about this two nights ago. One of them was reading and asking questions about John chapter 19, which is the crucifixion. And in John chapter 19, it, it reads about how Jesus is on the cross and they broke his legs. Oh, sorry, they broke the legs of of the two thieves, but they didn't need to break the legs of Jesus. Remember that passage? And I explained why. And I said, Look, Jesus is the lamb. And, and, and there was not one broken body, a broken bone in his whole body. And, and that's a terrible thing. But have you thought about what he actually went through in the lead up to that? What do you mean, Dad? What do you mean? I start talking about it. I said, imagine. You know when you do something wrong and you know that it's wrong? Yes. It feels bad, doesn't it? She goes, yes, it does. I said, imagine if you did all of the things that you did wrong the whole day and you wore that at one point. Would that feel worse? Yes. I said, what about all of the wrong stuff, all of the evil, all of the sin that you've done in your whole life? How would that feel? Oh, not good. I said, what about every single person on the planet? Oh. What about every single on the person, every person on the planet that had lived for all time? What if Jesus had taken on himself the weight of the world in that sense. See, when Jesus didn't want to drink from this, he understood that it was a, a very costly thing. But he did it. He did it for you and he did it for me. The final thing we read here is, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He says, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. But this isn't about me. This is about you. Father, this is about you. In this garden, we can possibly see this juxtapositioning about what happened in the very first garden, the Garden of Eden. There was another man who, in confrontation with an opportunity to sin, confronted with Satan in himself made a decision not your will but mine be done said the first Adam but what he couldn't do the second Adam Christ Jesus did in the other garden he was confronted with this temptation to sin he was confronted with Satan's plan to subvert him from God's plan he had an opportunity to just shrink back but he he said not my will father yours be done see I'm like Adam we're all like Adam we've all fallen we've all failed we still continue to do so what makes our life so incredible is that there is a perfect Adam, a second Adam, a greater Adam, named Jesus Christ, who has overcome sin and Satan and hell and death for us. And in him we live and we move 
we have our being. It's in him we receive grace. It's in him we are declared righteous. Not because of any good thing we bring to the table, but all we do is we say, yes, thank you. I can't do this anymore. My life, my old way of living, of leading, it's, it's gone. It's finished. I now give myself to you. I surrender to you, Father. Not my will, but yours be done. And so in him, we now participate in the decision that he's made. When Jesus says, Father, not my will, yours be done. He completes that active obedience. And we then get to participate by his grace, in his grace, move forward because of him. And it's, remember it says in Philippians, for it is God who works, he who works, in us to will and work for his good pleasure. So whilst there will constantly be a battle of the wills, as there was with Jesus Christ, when we struggle, let's lean on him. Let's lean on him. As we finish, we're going to finish at the time of reflection. I'll get Pastor Scott up in just a moment. I just want to submit to us as a community this evening whose will will you submit the knee to not the path of least resistance but the right path have you been fighting with God (laughs) maybe you've been dragged here kicking and screaming maybe you don't even know why you're here maybe you saw a link on facebook or or website or maybe you thought it's a christian thing to do i'll rock up my question to you is what has the lord jesus put his finger on in your life and you've been fighting with him about is this possibly a moment for you to say not my will but may yours be done Because I'll tell you what, what the Lord can do with a surrendered soul is incredibly miraculous. As he did with Jesus Christ. See what he did with his son. See the miracle he brought about. And he didn't leave Jesus on the cross either, did he? Because he was surrendered to the will of his father. And you know what? He did it lovingly too. Though part of him didn't like it, it didn't feel good. He said, thank you, Father. I'll follow you. I'll do your will. Let's uh, bow our heads and we'll pray and I'll get past this God to lead us. Father, we come to you grateful for what Jesus did for us. At times we do, I know I do, I, I so often underestimate the potency of what you've done for me. But I just want to say thank you and Lord, in our hearts in just this moment where we're conflicted, where we're wrestling, where we're struggling to let go of things. Maybe it's things of the past. Maybe it's things years ago, decades ago. Maybe it's just hours ago. We look to you to not just reveal but to empower. Reveal the right path reveal the right decisions that we've got to make but empower us to obey 
Lord, where we are not choosing the life of surrender, where we are not choosing a yielding disposition, Lord, we ask that you would lead us into repentance, that you would change our minds and our hearts, the state of our souls. Lord, may this Easter weekend 2023 be something unique, distinct, different, but powerful. Lord, again, we consecrate ourselves to you. We set ourselves apart for your purposes. And Lord, if there is sin in our hearts and our lives, Lord, reveal, reveal them to us. May that they're hidden in our hearts. Lord, reveal them to us that we may bring them to the cross to be dealt with, to receive forgiveness in full. We thank you, Father. Let's just spend the next couple of minutes waiting in the presence of God as we invite Holy Spirit to speak and act. Thank you, Father, for your precious Holy Spirit. Would you invade every part of our hearts, every part that we've locked away, that we've said, no, you can't enter. Lord, we, just, we say, Lord, would you just come and do what you want to? In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.